we're in a series on the book of John. And right now we're in John 6. We're in the middle of a huge sermon that, well, not huge, maybe that's not the right word, but it's a big sermon Jesus Jesus, uh, taught. And and we're going through it. And as we go, you know, we just are, are following along, basically keying off of the comments or the questions that the people who listened to Jesus were saying, because he followed that. They, they would ask him questions, and he would immediately respond. Uh, sometimes he didn't respond the way they wanted him to respond, but that's because he's Jesus, and he knows exactly what he needs to say, and so he does. And so we're going to follow along with that, but I want to kind of review last week because I know how easy it is sometimes to forget, and because we're stringing these together, it's good to review. But just so you remember, you know, we've talked about the fact that what Jesus is doing is he's giving people a picture of who he is. He's giving people a picture of why he has come. And he's painting it in so many different ways. You know, he's, he's, he's already been talking to a number of different people and coming at it from different angles. You know, and throughout Scripture we see this. You know, Jesus is called the Lamb. John calls him the Lamb of God. He's, he's, we looked at this before. He's the Lord of the feast. He's the Lord of the harvest. He's the living water. Talking to the woman at the well that we, we looked at a, a number of weeks ago. He's the good shepherd. That's coming up. He's the door. He's the gardener. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the bridegroom. He's the light of the world. He's the true vine. He's the way. He's the word, the logos. See, all of these things are descriptions of Jesus. And it's because, and we talked about this, it's because we're dealing with an infinite God and he's speaking in a finite language in, in, in Greek and in Old Testament Hebrew and in Aramaic. And so he has to paint this picture because no one word, no sentence, no paragraph, no book will give us the complete picture. And so this is Scripture. I mean, from, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we're getting pictures. And it's all a part to help us understand something that is hard for us, can be hard for us to understand. And no one can adequately express the whole picture, so we get it in a number of different ways. And so Jesus is preaching this sermon. And he's taking statements from his listeners. I think that's amazing that he, he's willing to do that. That's the thing I'm, you know, some people say, well, why don't you do that, Bob? I'll, because, you know, simply speaking, it's, I'm scared. I'm scared of what people would say. You know, you, you get up here and you've studied, and then all of a sudden somebody goes, hey, have you ever thought about this? And you're like, no, I didn't see that. I'm an idiot. So to keep from having to say I'm an idiot too much, if you want to ask me questions, ask me afterwards, right? Okay. So, first thing is, they said to him, they said to him, when did you get here? They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus um, knew right away. They're worried about the wrong things. He answered, he said, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. You're thinking materialistically. You're thinking just at a fleshly level. And this is important because he's going to make a quick distinction about this. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And right there, he makes this key distinction that we have to take note of. He says eternal life. And last week we talked about this. Two words for life, the most, two most common words, zoe and bios. Bios is this word for physical life eating and drinking and, you know, just physically existing. Has no idea of how the quality of the life involved. It's just the simple idea that this thing is alive. 
This person is alive. This being is alive. Whatever it is. That's bios. And here he says, don't work for the food that spoils. Okay, the food that spoils is bios food for the bios life. But for the food that endures, okay, so it lasts to eternal life. Okay, now he uses the word zoe. And the word zoe has this idea of quality of life. It has this idea of a meaningful existence. It has this idea that there is something that is worth living for, not merely existing. And then he tacks on this modifier of eternal to show that this is a spiritual issue. Your, your meaning, your, your life here on earth, you, it has great meaning. It has great impact. It has great potential. And so he introduces this distinction to make them see this, to make us see this. He says, this food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And now he introduces something even more interesting or very interesting. He's giving it to you. It's free. It's not something you work for. This sets Christianity apart from everything else. Because everything else is about Working hard, being something, doing something. And Jesus is pushing to them to think that there is something that is even more important than life itself, more important than bios, more important than my well-being and my comfort on this earth. He's saying, I didn't put you on this earth simply to survive, simply to exist. I put you here for something that is much greater than that. There's a food that endures into eternity, and there's a life that comes from that food that endures into eternity. So this is important. First thing they say, you know, with when did you get here? Second thing they say is what must we do? They're very intrigued by this. They understand. <laughs> Interestingly, they speak Greek. They're Greeks, many of them, and they're, they're, that's the common language. So they, they're immediately going, he just said Zoe. He just said eternal Zoe. He didn't say eternal bios, because we talked about that last week. Eternally just existing is another phrase for hell. You do nothing. You create, you, life is worth nothing. And to have that kind of life exist for eternity, that's horrific. And so he says to them, listen, it's given to you. And they're immediately thinking, no, this sounds like something we got to work for, right? And he's saying, no, this food is given. He's trying to push them. He's trying to think beyond their cultural boundaries. He's trying to think beyond their own little world to something that's that's bigger, that's incredible. And God is still doing that for us. He's trying to get us to think, your dreams are too small. And if your dreams are too small, maybe your God is too small. You know, we have this, this thing that's uh, very peculiar to Western civilization. It's this idea that we name buildings after people. This idea that we name arenas after people. That some, you know, we, and usually, you know, we all know how that works, right? The Mercedes-Benz arena isn't, isn't named after a guy named Mercedes or a guy named Benz. It's named, it's, it's bought. But you see this on, on campuses everywhere all over the United States, all over the world. You see campuses where buildings are named after people. What is that? 
It's a very peculiar thing in Western uh, civilization. It's the pursuit of something meaningful that lasts, right? That lasts beyond me. I listen to PBS sometimes, uh, NPR on, on, on the radio, and every, every so often they say, your name will live beyond you if you do this bequest to us. If you give us money, we will mention you after you're dead. Isn't that great? Think how fulfilling that will be for you. Right? Isn't that crazy? And here's the crazy thing. It works. Because every once in a while, if you listen to an NPR program at the very end, this program was brought to you by blah, 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 blah. They don't say so-and-so and so-and-so who is now dead. They don't say that. But that's what's going on there. That's, what the, that's what's going on. It's happening all the time. We do this in, in so many different ways. And because what are, we, what are we looking for? We all want something about us that will last into eternity that will be worth something. That's Zoe. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's why he's shaking them on this. That's why he's shaking us on this. He's trying to get us to see. Your God is too small. Your dreams are too small. So what what must we do? They said, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Jesus just said it's given to you. And they're like, nope, can't be, can't be. So Jesus answered, the work of God is is this, to believe in the one he has sent. This is it. You want to know what you need to do? Here it is. Believe that the gift is being given to you. Believe it. Believe in the one that God has sent. That's it, and that's all. And so they say, what is your sign? How do we know you're the one? Verse 30, so they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, what's going on there is they're saying, look, we, re- we know what just happened. We know what just happened the other day. That was a miracle of feeding. But let's just get that in context here. Our ancestors had a miracle of feeding every day for years. So we're like, wow, that's impressive, but it's not as impressive as this. So are you greater than Moses? Because Moses is the one who facilitated all of that. And Jesus said, very truly, this is that truly, truly, that, that, that Greek way of saying, look at me, listen to me. I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So, so Jesus now is giving, getting on them. He's saying, look, I want you to understand something. You guys got this wrong. You're thinking Moses. No, it was from God, and it was bread. He says, but now there's this other bread. He says, it's the true bread. That word true there is the word for genuine. It's the word that something is very special. It's not like any other kind of bread. So he's saying, I want you to see something here. This is very important that you're just thinking of manna. You're just thinking of eating and drinking. And he's pushing them to get away from that kind of thinking. So he talks about this bread. And he says, first, there's this idea. There's a type of bread. There was the bread you got before. There was the bread I gave you the other day. 
That's bios bread. That bread will rot. Remember with manna, they'd pick up what they needed. The rest would just rot. It would just go bad. They couldn't gather extra. He says, so I'm contrasting those two breads. There's something special, something different about this bread. There's something going on here that's different from what you think should be going on here. I find a lot of times in my life, I think I have a good idea of what God should do. And it is like God is trying to tell me, there's something going on here that's different from what you think is going on here. There's something bigger. There's something more meaningful. I mean, who wouldn't want to do something that would last into eternity and you would be able to experience it lasting into eternity. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if somebody came to me and said, Bob, and I know this isn't possible, said, Bob, give us five grand, we'll name a building after you. We'll name a building after you. For five grand, this will become the Bob Mosley Memorial Chapel, right? Now, they could tell me, and then your name will live on and it will in a sense that somewhere there's a plaque that says Bob Mosley Memorial Chapel. Maybe, maybe right up here would be good if you guys are thinking about it. Um, we'll skip the memorial part for now. But anyways, that, that would be great. But you know what? I wouldn't get to experience it. I wouldn't get to experience my name living on. But if someone said to you, there's no money involved, it doesn't cost you that way but your name will live on and you will experience it. You will experience it into eternity and beyond. It's like, that's pretty incredible. That's a pretty incredible offer to have my name live on forever. He's saying, this is what I'm offering you. This is what I'm offering you. You eat this bread. You you partake of this eternal zoe. And you are going to be able to do things that will live for eternity, and you will experience it. And I, and I used the illustration last week of, you know, 10,000 years from now, you're in heaven, and some Navajo comes up to you and says, thank you. You helped facilitate that trip. You didn't go, but you helped facilitate that trip, and I want to thank you because I'm here because of that. That's something where you can do something, not even huge. You can just do something. You can be involved in something that lasts into eternity, and you get to experience it. That's an incredible offer. So he says the type of bread, this is the genuine bread. This is the true bread. This is something special, something different. The origin of the bread, he says, this is the bread of God. This is the bread from God. So it's a different type of bread. Its origin is eternal, not from this life. So he's contrasting with them all these things. He's making them see these things. He's pushing them. This isn't just some old bread that you can eat. This isn't just five loaves and two fishes out on the seashore that I multiplied so people could all have something in their belly. This is special. This is different. This is the true bread from God. Anything else is anything else that you're trying to get Zoe from is a cheap imitation. And then the power of the bread. He says it's able to give. Zoe to the whole world. 
Again, he's pushing them to think beyond their own little cultural boundaries and their own little cultural barriers. And he's pushing us to think that way also. He's pushing them to think past their country, past their need to the world, the whole world, beyond Israel. You know, you think about this. If the Jews had grand ideas for the Messiah, they were actually very small ideas to God. And if God had come and been the Messiah that they wanted, we would have no hope. They wanted a kingdom. They just wanted a kingdom pretty much like everybody else's kingdom. They just wanted to have a bigger king than everyone else had. They wanted to have a king that could conquer enemies. They loved the idea of a king who could produce food. They loved the idea of a king who could heal people. It's a great thing to have when you have a king. But it would just be another kingdom. A great one, maybe the greatest, but it would just be another kingdom. And they would rule by sheer force, and the world would be without hope. And Jesus is saying to them, your dreams are too small. Dream bigger. Look up. There's more. They wanted to be at the top of the power pyramid. And Jesus is like, you're looking at such a small pyramid. And we see how misplaced their hopes and dreams were. They took God's word and they manipulated it to say what they wanted to hear. They only grabbed the parts that they liked to hear. And many of them went so far as to reject God's word because it didn't fit their ideas of what he would be, what he should do because they're missing the whole point. But before we condemn them, we need to cast a critical eye on ourselves because we fall into the same trap. We become more interested in our ideas of how our family should be, our ideas of how our lives should be, our ideas of how our country should be, whatever it is. We become more interested in those ideas than we do in furthering God's kingdom and how to make it grow, and how to be involved, and how to be a part of it. How to be a part of bringing Zoe to the whole world, because he's just told us that's what he wants. We can have misplaced priorities just like they did, and misplaced priorities can be deadly in a person's life. That's something we have to consider, because he's pushing them to do it, and he's pushing us to do it. What are your priorities? What are your priorities? How do they rank? Yes, your family should be a priority, but there should be one higher. It should be God. So they said, when did you get here? Then they said, what must we do? Then they said, what is your sign? Then they said, give us this bread. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. See, it's like they're beginning to understand this bread is very special, but they're still stuck in this whole idea of, 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 of the physical realm and of eating and drinking. But they're saying, give us this bread. This, this will fix all my problems. So Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. They're saying, give us this bread. And he says, okay, it's me. You will never hunger. You will never thirst. It's very interesting. He says, I am the bread of life. That's, that's that Greek word, that, the two Greek words, ego ami, I am. I am. And 
when you tack it on here, when you start putting in this context, it's the idea of divinity. It's this idea. I'm the I am. And I am the bread of life. You don't eat me. You don't digest me. You come to me. He just told them, you believe in me. This is what I'm talking about. And this brings us to a big implication here. I mentioned, mentioned this last week, but I just want to reinforce this. I remember when our wife, when our wife, <laughs> oh boy, my wife would bake bread when our kids were little and just you'd come out and there's this delicious smell and this beautiful looking loaf and you knew it tasted so good. You know, you have your butter and honey and whatever else you slather on bread, cinnamon and sugar, you know, different things. But the key was now, at some point, we've got to break that bread. We need to open it. We need to cut it. It needs to be broken to be eaten. And Jesus is, is beginning to clue them in on what his, what his plan is for his life. So when they ask, what do we do to earn favor with, with God? What do we do to get this Zoe life? They're, they're like, hey, we get it. We, we want a life of meaning. We want a life of power. We want a life where we can do things that could last for eternity. Are you kidding me? Yes, Jesus, please start baking. And his point is, it's me. I'm the bread of life. I will do it all. In, in, uh, in verse 35 there, where it says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Um, the translators are struggling with a peculiar uh, thing in Greek. In Greek, in English, you know, two negatives cancel each other out. In Greek, they don't. They just add force. And so literally, it says, whoever comes to me will never, never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will no, never be thirsty. He's emphasizing, he's telling you, this is so huge. This is so he doubles the negative to make them see that. Just like when he says, truly, truly, he's doubling the idea of, listen to me, look at me. And this, this is what makes in, in, in some, the Greek such a beautiful language because it has this ability to just pile things on like that to make the person who's listening or reading go, that's important. That's really important. And he's telling them that. And so what do they ask? How do, we, how do we earn favor with God? How do we get this Zoe life? And he's like, no, you, you don't do that. It's me. Believe in me. That's it. This is the work of God. Believe in me. And my fear is that we, we can look at the bread in our hands, the bread that rots, and we can look back at Jesus, and we close our hands around this thing, whatever it is, and we say, I have all the life I need right here. I have all I need in this job. I have all I need in this addiction. I have all I need in this money. I have all I need in this relationship. I have all I need in my dreams. I have all I need in this sin. Because, Bob, if you're telling me that to get to Jesus, I have to give this up, I don't know. I don't know. I might walk away because I don't know if that's the life I really want. This right here is what I really want. And I know that we know too much to actually say that. Nobody here would actually say, 
I have all I need in my family. I have all I need in my job, my career. I have all I need in this money that I have saved up for me. I have all, we wouldn't say that. We know better than saying that. But we can live that way. And if you're thinking that way, and if I'm thinking that way, let me just say this. Jesus is the only bread that will break for us. Of all the other breads out there, Jesus is the only one that breaks for you. Of all the breads out there, all those other breads will break you, not break for you. You can try it. That bread will perish. It will leave you wanting. It will leave you broken. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I am the bread of life. He finds us starving to death with stomachs full of savior substitutes. Eating to become hungry again. Drinking to become thirsty again. Looking for life and never finding. You know, just like looking for love in all the wrong places. And Jesus comes and says, I'm Jehovah Jireh. We talked about that the other week. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm what you look. I am all you need. I am all you need. I am enough for you. He is enough for me. He's telling me that. I'm not the bread that spoils. I'm not the water that leaves you thirsty after, after a bit. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, he's, so Paul here is contrasting two things. He says, don't be drunk on wine. Be filled with the Spirit. And what is he saying here? He's saying, look, alcohol, alcohol can be a food stuff, or it can be a way to try to find life. See, if you drink too much alcohol, say me, maybe for boldness, maybe for courage, maybe to lose your self-consciousness, maybe to feel better, maybe to self-medicate, maybe just to get over something. We call that an alcohol problem, right? Paul says, no, that's a Zoe problem. That's what that is. Drinking and trying to get from it something only Jesus can give. And so if your Zoe is alcohol, it will exhaust you. It will ruin you. If your Zoe is money, it it will exhaust you. If your Zoe is good looks, that will exhaust you. Trust me. <laughs> That's, I don't know why I said That's like picking off the low shelf. I don't know why I said um, if you're if, 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 if your Zoe is another person, it will exhaust you. The last week talked about my son when he was young, thinking that real living was getting all the soda you could drink and candy. He thought that was really living. But if that's really living to you, whatever it is, it will exhaust you. It will ruin you. Thinking about that example uh, um, from Ephesians 5.18, you know, one of the things pharmacologically, um, alcohol is a depressant. Now, you think about that. Alcohol is a depressant. Why would someone drink alcohol to, to get boldness, to get courage, to get over their self self-consciousness, to feel better if it's a depressant. Well, here's how it works. It depresses your your mind's ability to see reality. That's what it does. It depresses your, your, your ability to see things as they really are. Because if you are in a situation that's a miserable, horrible situation, you kind of say, well, I just wish I didn't have to go through this. I wish I didn't have to see this. 
So alcohol depresses your ability to see reality. It dulls your understanding. That's what every false zoe does. The Spirit of God is a stimulant. Why? Because the gospel, the bread of heaven, it gives life by heightening your ability to see reality. That's the point. You begin to see reality. The gospel doesn't say, here, do this, and it's something you can escape into, like work or like a bottle, because those things exhaust you. The gospel says, no, engage, engage your mind. We talk about this all the time. I know you guys get sick of it sometimes. Engage your mind, engage your heart, engage your emotions, engage your will. Get into reality. And it says, meditate on this. Think about this. Worship this. This is the truth. Well, what is this? The great God has come in the flesh. Now, I know when I start to talk about things like this, uh, I know what can happen because it's happened with me sometimes when I've gone other places and I listen. It's like, oh, okay, Bob's going to give the little, there's going to be a little bit of gospel in here and I can just, you know, I just eyes glaze over, turn off for a minute while he goes over the foundational basics for all the people who don't get it, right? All right, don't think that way for a moment. This isn't the, something for non-believers. This is for all of us. Think about this because this is, because this is, what, this is what the bread of life does. This is what salvation is supposed to do. It gets us in touch with reality. It makes us think about it. Think about this. The great God of the universe came in the flesh. Think about that. And he walked, he walked among people. He, he, could have, he could have come and walked and sat here with us. Right? And people go, oh, who's the new guy? Dress is funny, right? He, he, he walked among people. And so now, think, he knows what it is to be you. He knows what it is to experience what you're experiencing. You know, we talked about, talk about this earlier. Some of you are in valleys right now. It's dark. You don't see God very clearly. Where is he? He knows that feeling. Jesus knows that feeling. Where are you, God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows that feeling. This is incredible. He lived the life that we couldn't live on our behalf. He died for us. He took it on us. He took your debts. He paid them. He took your shame. He got rid of it. It's gone. You don't have to be ashamed anymore. So now, when a person transfers their trust for, a, for Zoe, when you transfer your trust from a false Zoe to the real, the genuine, the real thing, to Jesus Christ, he says, I am with you every step of the way. Why? Because I lived it. I know what it's like to be betrayed. I know what it's like to be left I know what it's like to be hated. I know what it's like to be not recognized, for people to assume things about me that aren't true. I know what it's like for people to sp spread false uh, rumors about me, to spread lies about you. I know how that is. I lived it, and yet I didn't sin. So when you transfer your trust 
from a false Zoe to him. You accept him as your God and as your Savior. Your conscience will be cleared. It will be declared clean. The righteousness of Jesus Christ will be put into your spiritual account. You will be adopted into his family. You will become a daughter of the king, a son of the king, the most high God. You may have had terrible parents. Let me tell you what good news this is for you. You may have had great parents, and it's still good news for you because now the greatest lover, the greatest forgiver, the greatest encourager is for you. You have have this new image, new power, new nature, new meaning, new hope in the midst of suffering. And if you want to find life through a bottle, through pills, through a lover, through work, through whatever, you actually will lose yourself in them. In Jesus, he says, you are open to reality. You find yourself. This is who I really am. This is why I'm on this earth. This is what God wants to do through me, something that will last for eternity. Don't settle for anything less. So a person, when they're unhappy, they drink. What are they doing? They're suppressing the truth. It makes them forget what's true about them for a while. And then they sober up and it comes right back, right? If you're a Christian, what is Jesus saying? He says, tell yourself the truth. Don't run from it. Tell yourself the truth. But tell yourself the truth. I am a child of God. I am not. One of the most horrific times for me, uh, years ago, my kids playing sports. So our kids would always start off on the little um, youth teams, you know, the city, city teams. It's just a bunch of little kids running around it's like soccer, a bunch of kids running around not knowing what they're doing. And, uh, and, and so there was, when my kids was little, there was this, this little boy on the team, and his dad evidently was incredibly driven. And um, his dad kept yelling at him. Just go, do that. Why did you do I mean, you know, what little kid says, I'm going to run out there and I'm going to kick the ball in the wrong goal so that everybody screams at me and I become humiliated and something that will scar me for the rest of my life. Nobody does that. I mean, one of the things I learned with coaching is I learned, be careful what you say to people because they don't try to screw up. It just happens. It's a screw up, right? Well, this dad is riding this kid for every little thing. And I mean, it's six- and seven-year-olds. And I'm debating, do I need to go speak to this guy? Because this is ridiculous. And all of a sudden, the kid gets substituted, and you hear this dad go, you worthless piece of human tissue. And he walks away. And I was just like, okay, that's it. But he, he's leaving. And I'm like, I don't want to go talk to him in the parking lot because he looks like he could beat me up. So I just wait, you know, and I just went over and said, hey, buddy, you're doing good. You're trying hard. And he looked at me crying, and he said, I'm not a worthless piece of human tissue. And I thought, man, see, that man is ingraining in that little boy the truth. That little boy thinks that's the truth. That's not the truth. What is the truth about a person who's a follower of Jesus Christ? You're not a worthless piece of human tissue. You're a child of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of the king. 
You have been declared righteous. You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't know how it works, but when God sees you, he sees Jesus. Remember when Jesus was baptized and God makes this appearance and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He says that about you. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That's the truth. That's why we're people of the truth. Because we grab it. We hold on to it. We want the truth at all times. And they were clinging to this false zoe. Not realizing that it was exhausting them and it will just crush them. God does not come to us and say, there's eternal life out there. Get going. Hope you find it. No, he says there's eternal life available for you. It's free. I'm giving it away. And it's for you. It's for you. And Jesus says in verse 37, all those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Man, what kind of comfort is in that phrase? For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. Do you ever want to know God's will for your life? Here it is, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. He says, I want you to believe in me, and I will lose no one. None will slip through my fingers. None will go through the cracks. None will go, oh, I didn't notice him over there. Never, none of that will happen. Jesus is introducing another picture, another side of salvation. He says, everyone the Father gives me. He's bringing in this idea of the sovereignty of God. The Father is giving me these children. And it brings in this aspect of grace that's totally wrapped up in our salvation, something we don't deserve. And there's an ongoing discussion among Christians of different stripes saying, oh, well, it, it, it's God's sovereignty, and he's giving them, and he's choosing them, and, and, and it's... And then it's man's responsibility to believe. And how do you reconcile those two things? And you know what? You don't. You don't reconcile them. Because we're dealing with something that's eternal. And we can make attempts at it, and we can try to figure it out as best we can. But ultimately, this is something I think every one of us, when we get to heaven, will go, oh, man, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? The infinite God is conveying to us infinite truths, truths. And he says, I'm never going to drive them away. They come with open arms in verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of them that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. There is great comfort in those words. This is the will of God. None will be lost. And finally, he mentions here two times the last day. He's going to mention it more in this chapter. He's, this this uh, sermon, I, I know sometimes because I, I know because um, sometimes my kids critique me, and uh, the greatest um, the people who give me the greatest difficulty sometimes with my sermon are my children. Um, Dad, why'd you say that? It wasn't really funny, you know. And I'll say a lot of people laughed, and they'll say it's because they didn't want to embarrass you. It was just a courtesy laugh, Dad. Yeah, yeah, with kids like that who needs enemies, right? So, um, and so they'll, 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 they'll critique me, and sometimes they give me really, they do give me really good ideas and, and ideas on, on what's going on and what 
what I should, uh, how I should do things. One of the things I see here, and one of the things they say sometimes is, Dad, you repeat yourself a lot. I know, I know. But there's a reason, at least some of the time. At least some of the time there's a reason. It's because it's important. And here's the thing. Jesus is repeating himself. He says bread of life a whole bunch of times. He says bread of life a whole bunch of times. He's going to say the last day four times. That tells us there's something important here. And the full ramifications of this could, is, is, is interesting. I don't even know if I know the full ramifications. But the Jews had this idea of the last day. And their idea of the last day, was, it was the great judgment day. It was the great resurrection when people were resurrected and God judged people. That was a huge thing for them, very big. But there were a group of Jews who did not believe in the last day, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were a sect and a fairly significant sect mainly with the rich people, though, mainly with the rich people. The Sadducees believed there was no last day. There was no resurrection. There's no eternal zoe, nothing that lasts forever. And so what do you do? You do the best you can while you're here. You just do what you can while you're here. You go along to get along. So the Romans are in charge. All right, we'll work with the Romans. We don't particularly like them, but we'll work with them. We'll help them collect taxes. We'll run the temple safely for them. We'll do that. And so the Sadducees were put in charge of the temples. Most of the people who collected taxes that were Jews, <clears throat> that were traitors that they considered them, were Sadducees oftentimes. Most of them were Sadducees. And so the Sadducees had this idea. There's nothing eternal going on here. Yes, there's a God. It would be like, you know, we know of, of uh, especially with many of our founding fathers, they were deists. They would admit there's a God, but they didn't really think that he had anything going on personally with anybody right now, that he broke into humanity in a big way. There's, there's just this, so they just believe there's this God, and you ought to live a moral life. And they would give lift service to that. But ultimately, it was all about me. It's all about my family. Because, because here's the deal. Let's face it. If there's, no, if, if, if there's no eternity, if there's no judgment, why am I being nice to people? What do I care about them? They're not my family. And why am I even being nice to a couple of my kids? Because I don't even care about them. You know, I mean, why am I doing this stuff? Why am I living this way? What's the point? If there's no, if there's no God who's keeping track, if there's no judgment, if there's no eternity, then it's every man, it's doggy dog. It's literally just that. Every person for themselves. Who cares how it affects other people? Because it doesn't really matter. And so the Sadducees were that way. And Jesus is making a very pointed statement here. There is a last day. There is a resurrection. And there is a judgment. I want you to understand that. He says, I want you to understand that. This is is what's going on. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. He's talking there about his followers, his believers, his children. They will be raised up, and there will be this resurrection, and none will be lost. None will be lost. They're mine. So Jesus is absolutely refuting the Sadducees and their philosophy of life. And some of the prime movers in his death were Sadducees because he was a threat to them. He was a very real existential threat to them. Why? Because he was telling everybody that there is, there is something coming. There is this. And so 
the here and now is not that important, and that could affect them financially. He's saying there is a judgment. There is a resurrection. Don't fall for these false ideas. Look to me. And just close with this, and this is the response. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? You know, it's interesting, at this point in time, they have no problem saying he's the son of Joseph. If you read later, they begin to say, yeah, we don't really know who your father is, and they start slamming him. But right at this point, their, their whole point is this. Who do you think you are? Who does he think he is? That's a good question for us. Who do you think he is? Who do you think he is? Because I know when I ask myself that question, the very next response is basically, are you living like you think that's true? Do you, who do you think he is? I believe he's the son of God. I believe he's the savior of mankind. I believe he's some, someone who is worthy of dedicating my life to. And nothing, nothing, nothing in my life is as important as is as important as God. Nothing. I want to say I believe that, but does my life reflect it? And that's the question for all of us, because we're all basically thinking, who does he think he is? Who is he? And Jesus, throughout this, has been saying in different words, look at me, look at me. I'm the king. I'm the Messiah. I am the Zoe that you have been looking for all your life. It's me. Look at me. And what does he say to them? He says, you looked at me and you didn't even believe. And he's saying to us, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because it will change the way you live if you do. Father, we thank you for this time. God, thanks. Thank you for your word. Lord, I say that every week, but I don't want it to be trite. Thank you for your word. You've given us this that shows and illustrates and, and, and opens up our hearts to Jesus. We thank you for your spirit, who is the one who does that, who makes it come alive to us. And Lord, we thank you for the salvation that now we can even in the most difficult of times, tell ourselves the truth. I am a son, a daughter of God. I am redeemed. I am right with him. I have shalom. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for that blessing. We thank you for the comfort and the assurance you give us in the middle of that, that none of your children will be lost. You will not lose one of them. And so we can rest in that. Lord, during the dark valleys, help us to cling to those truths when everyone else around us is whispering lies in our ears to get us to turn our attention away from you. And you gently say, look at me. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.